Hi everyone, and welcome to Session in Conversation. I'm Jade Matthew, actor-director and therapist. I'm a master NLP therapist, hypnotherapist, and all-round mental health enthusiast. We started this podcast to create a safe, inclusive environment of connection and conversation around mental health, to encourage our industry peers to dig deep and normalize the conversation around mental health, to share their wisdom and real experiences and stories to help open up a wider discussion. Hi everyone, I hope you're well. Today we are joined by Connor Finch. Connor is an actor who was born and bred in Clacton-on-Sea. He trained on the foundation course at ArtsEd and then went on to spend three years at Guildhall, spending a large part of his training during the pandemic. He has recently been seen in The Larkins, a new adaption of the classic novel The Darling Buds of May, Professor T, and you might recognise him from his wonderful performance in Everything I Know About Love the brilliant screen adaption of Dolly Alderton's iconic memoir where Connor plays musician and heartbreaker Street. Connor has bravely been very candid about his mental health on social media, specifically around his struggles with an eating disorder and addiction. And I just want to give a quick trigger warning around those subjects. I have so much respect for how far he's come on his journey and for his willingness to open up here today. I hope you guys enjoy this chat as much as I did. Hello, Connor. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Wait. <coughs> Sorry, I'm sounding like Pat Butcher. I've got something in my throat. <laughs> Let me start again. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? I'm good, Jade. How are you doing? Very good to see you. And you? Where have you joined us from today? Uh, I've come from North London today. So. From North London, whereabouts? Not in like a stalker way. Not, in, in, a, not in a stalker way. Okay. <laughs> um, the borough of Haringey. Lovely. Just to One of London's different. finest boroughs. I'd like to think so. Yeah, it's great. But you were born and raised in Clacton. Yeah. Correct. In Essex, yeah. How was that? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. How did your kind of childhood was? Were you always destined for the arts or? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I don't not maybe necessarily acting. Mm-hmm. Um, from a young age, I danced. I'm like young. I was really? Like, yeah, I was like four. What kind of dancing? So I started off with modern jazz and tap. And I mean, I stuck with it till, you know, like I saw it out, did all like the exams and stuff like that. So I stuck it out till I was like maybe 18. And towards the end of it, I started doing ballet, which I wish that's probably one of the regrets I have is not doing that earlier. How did you get into starting dancing? Uh, I mean, I think it was as simple as like one of my mum's best mates was a dance teacher at a dance school. Um, and I just went along with it, really. That was sort of, that was it. I just went along one day and then went every day for about 18 years. Did you? Yeah. Well, I mean, like three or four times a week, yeah. That was amazing. At the same yeah. school? Yeah, stayed at the same school the entire time. I was the only boy in the entire school. Really? Until maybe like my last four or five years there where, you know, a younger kid had started. But that was it. Yeah, I'd spent pretty much the entire... I was always the only guy in my classes. When I first started, there was a much older guy and he left, you know, went off. And yeah, so for pretty much a majority of it, I was the only guy at the school. 
Because I think in our generation, that was really common, wasn't it? Where there would only be kind of one or two boys. I think nowadays it's much more common that it's much more to kind of diverse group of children. Mm. Um, but back in the day, I mean, I have so many friends who are, you know, who are boys who felt like they were just the only one. And at school, it was such a kind of unique thing for a boy to be into ballet, tap, jazz in that time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, throughout that time at primary school, I didn't really know any different. And then maybe it wasn't until I sort of got to high school that I started to to hear other people talk about it. Yeah. In almost a negative way, you know. I don't, uh, it was quite odd, you know, I sometimes have to miss school football training or something because I had dance class, you know. So it's sort of, I think when I got to a certain age, and that was probably the age that I wanted to stop doing it for a little while. You know, I don't think a lot of my mates probably thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. Did that make you want to stop at points? Um, definitely at points, yeah. yeah. It really did. Um, but then th- then it also, then, you know, a few years later, it gets to a point where you sort of flip reverse that and go, well, no, actually, why should I change doing something that I enjoy doing? I'm going to do this. I'm going to see it out. And I think that's what made me do it until I sort of couldn't anymore. <laughs> It's really amazing though that you had the strength to push through that because you're so impressionable as a teen, aren't you? Mm, mm. By wanting to fit in. Yeah. I just think it's such a it's such an unfortunate thing in life that when you're a, you spend your whole childhood trying to fit in and then you spend your whole adult life trying to stand out. Yeah. <laughs> don't you? Yeah, yeah. But as a teen, you're so impressionable and so many kids end up quitting something that they really love just yeah. because it might not be deemed cool you know yeah, whatever yeah. cool what, what bloody cool means to other people yeah, yeah. no it's true it, uh, yeah is that then how you so then you stepped into acting no not even from there oh wow literally yeah and uh, i mean i had no intentions i didn't want to do dance as a career um but i just enjoyed it and then i think it was sort of around the time that i got to high school i got into music um you know like playing music singing stuff like that um what kind of music? I mean, you know, it was very much the era of indie. Mm. So a lot of Arctic Monkeys, Coots, Razor Light. Yeah. You know, and dressing like them as well, obviously. Obviously. Um, goes hand in hand. <laughs> um, I still struggle not to now. But, um, yeah. Is that it your was fashion always, inspo? Yeah, I mean, I'd like, maybe if I'm, if I'm being honest, it is. It, my call answer is someone, you know, I'll go, well, Jim Morrison or Mick Jagger or, you know. <laughs> no, it's not. It's Johnny Burrell from Razorlight. Thank you um, for sharing that. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. There's so the first open. bit of honesty. You know? <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it was. It was always music. I wanted to do music. I wanted to be the lead singer in a band, you know. That was what my world revolved around, you know, doing gigs, going to see gigs. That was what, it was everything. It was everything. And then when I was 14 and got asked to join a band that all my best mates were in, that was, you know, like the coolest thing. Yeah, it was uh, at 14 years old, I was like, this is it, I'm going to crack this. And uh, I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. You were front man? I was, yeah. What was the band called? Oh, God. Come on. 
I need to know. It was, uh, God, it's a name that's not been spoken in a while. The Wasted Youth. Oh, that's that's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, it works when you're 14, 15, 16. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad we didn't carry on and have the same name. I think it was, uh, they were called that before I joined the band. I think it was taken from an Enter, Enter Shikari song. Mm. I think. That's the cool version, whether it's the truth, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say it is. Yeah. But Confirmed. yeah, it was it was a covers band for a long time. Amazing. Just, just purely covering like Arctic Monkeys. Arctic Monkeys cover know. band. I don't really. I actually don't know what other covers we did. We the first song I ever did with them, we did an Arctic Monkeys song. I don't remember many other covers. I think they were probably just all Arctic Monkeys. A couple of Kings of Leon, maybe. Um, when did you move on to more original material? I think when one of the guys in the band. I think it must have been when he was in his last year of high school so like you know he was studying music a bit more and then he started writing songs and bringing songs to band rehearsal and we were like oh these are cool yeah let's do these and then I had the struggle of singing these songs without a Rotherham accent and trying not to be able to Would you sing in the accent? Very hard not to. That's amazing. Yeah. Maybe that was the start I, of your acting career. I was going to say, that's <laughs> probably where it started. But I don't know. I sort of do. I suppose a lot of people, you know, it's it's arguable that, you know, I'm not saying I was, but I think a lot of front men and people in bands and, and musicians and artists in general kind of feel like they step on <clears> stage and they become this sort of character almost. And I definitely had an element of that. Yeah, but well, you take on a persona, don't you? Yeah. Most people who are in the entertainment industry, if you're performing, no matter what kind of medium it is, you do take on some form of persona. Yeah. Acting is different because you're actually stepping into a character. Mm. But even if you're performing as yourself, often. Yeah, it's sort of a yeah. 2.0 version. You know, yeah. it's like a... Bit ramped up. Yeah, yeah, I was certainly ramped up. Every time as a fourteen year old getting on stage in front of about twenty people. Oh yeah. Yeah, but that's that's yeah. where you cut your teeth. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It it really is, yeah. No, they were I loved that and I think that was probably you know it hurt when two of the boys in the band, arguably the ones that wrote all the songs and oh. made it all up was like, Yeah, we wanna go and do something else. We were like, Okay. So the rest of us were like, we'll make a better band. We had one band rehearsal. We was like, this ain't going to work, is it? Oh, <laughs> and that was it? That was it. That's where it stopped. Yeah. So then uh, what was the next step into into um, the acting industry? Um, I mean, I think it sort of started when, you know, um, you know, someone who's now a very good friend and I still call a mentor that would kind of come into the school every now and then, you know, just to sort of help out. It wasn't like a full-on teacher. Dave Garlic, um, who's now a really good mate, he he helped me. We was doing this drama piece and he helped me do it. I think it was Road by Jim Cartwright, a monologue from that. And um, I loved it. And I was like, this is so cool. This is what I want to do. I'd love to do this. Mm. You know, I didn't really know how. I knew Dave was an actor. He'd done, he was sort of, he was a child actor. He grew up and, you know, he was, he did Oliver on like the West End and Broadway mm. when he was a kid. Um, and, you know, I knew that he was 
still an actor. Um, but obviously he started as a kid. I was like, I, I don't know how I'm going to start. And I, I didn't really think about it. And then I suppose it was when I started to think about, you know, A-levels and stuff like that, I found out uh, there was a institute like half an hour from where I lived that did a musical theatre course. And I was like, well, I've danced, I've sang. I think I do a bit of acting now. So I went, and I went down that road for two years. <laughs> and I thought that's what I wanted to do because I was just doing it. So I auditioned for drama schools, but for the musical theatre side. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And? Uh, did not go well. Unsuccessfully. Unsuccessful. Um, but the I think the one place that kind of did well is I auditioned at ArtsEd and mm. got a place on the Musical Theatre Foundation course. And then realised that's a lot of money I can't afford that not only that but I can't afford to live in London like that um, and I remember feeling really bad <laughs> that I was going to like turn down this amazing opportunity so I literally got the train to London went all the way to Artshead and because I wanted to just tell someone in person I didn't want to ring up and do it I thought it was I don't know in my head I was like they will give me this, I want to tell them. And as I did, um, an amazing person who run the uh, evening courses and part-time courses was walking past and said, listen, you know, we do this evening foundation course, so it's not as many hours, but that also means it's nowhere near as expensive and it's during the evening so you can work during the day. And I was like, this sounds amazing, let's, let's do it. Uh, and I did that. And I, f I wasn't on the musical theatre course for that long before uh, he turned around and was like, are you sure you want to do musical theatre and not just acting? And I was like, oh, no, 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 like, I, I, I want to do just acting, but, you know, you've got to do it all. And he's like, no, yeah, you haven't. <laughs> if you want to just do acting, we've got just an acting course. And amazingly, he moved me over to the acting part-time foundation course. And that sort of, I think that was probably the first time that I had just a, just acting training. Wow, that was the first time that you'd ever done any yeah, yeah. intensive acting training. That's incredible. Yeah. So you then gained a place at Guildhall. I did, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. Guildhall is such an incredible school. It's a great school, yeah, yeah. And how did you find drama school? Yeah, I think it was... It was a challenge. It was, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, you have. It, it was tough because in that first year, essentially, you have to let go of a lot of stuff. So you kind of start fresh, really. I struggled with that a lot, you know. Let go of what specifically? Um. I suppose it's terrible. I should know that straight away, shouldn't I? After studying, but I, I think it is in a lot of sense. You know, there was always um, a teacher that used a phrase that was like, "Leave your armor at the door," yeah. and you can put it on when you go back into the real world. But when we're in this room, you leave it there. Um, yeah, I, I I did struggle with even with little things like you know. 
I was quite reluctant to like take jewelry off and stuff like that because it it did feel like I was really stripping back, and it it felt uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think I really struggled for the first year of drama school in. I was quite insecure and nervous when I first started the acting course that I was on. And what you say about leaving your armour at the door, I really relate to. Because I think as someone who went through a lot Mm. in my teenage years, I was very kind of guarded and I know I, I was very much kind of protecting myself at all times. It's something that I've really had to work on over the years is really letting people in and letting my guard down, like you said, yeah. taking that armour off and stepping into a place like drama school, which you, are, it's, you have to be wide open, don't you? Yeah. And you need to really be ready to be vulnerable, mm. to step up at any moment and be completely open, completely vulnerable, really, you know, bring your emotions and be ready to kind of let that out yeah I found it incredibly difficult to do yeah and it was only when I I think was in my second year that I really was able to kind of strip that back it took me a good year of every day really trying to kind of step into myself and become more confident and become more able to be you know open and vulnerable in that way so that's such an interesting point actually yeah I think it was probably like the end of first year because like even we we started doing, I mean, I, I don't know if they still do, but at Guildhall they called them like showings where you'd work. So like the first thing we worked on was like the mystery plays. Mm. And then you don't show it to anyone. You literally show it to like the teachers kind of thing once you've done it. Um, and then we did like a modern play. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I, my performances in, in those were like shocking. Like arguably some of the worst acts <laughs> I've ever done. And like... You, know. you can't judge that in hindsight. No, no, no. Be that's that's not, that's not just my words either, though. Like, oh. Yeah. Okay. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. Because I just... Ref- I was like... Bad reluctant. in what way, though? Just, because you're not a bad actor. You're a great actor. So in, in what, what, what context do you mean bad? I think... You know, maybe very heady, making a lot of decisions, thinking that they were like, this is going to sound great. Or this More is bravado. Great. Yeah. Okay. Um... And then it wasn't until um, our final term first year where we worked on a Chekhov piece. I had no idea what Chekhov <clears> was, but I was excited after reading it. That That's when I started to strip back and let everything go. And, you know, it came at a price. I, I've never had the experience, I think it happened once or twice, I had a full-on panic attack during a rehearsal one day. Like I was, I was like trying to rip my own fucking. Oh, sorry, can I swear? Sorry. Yeah, of course you can say whatever you want. Sorry, um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yes. Stop apologising. Um, but uh, you had a full-on panic attack. Full-on panic attack. Yeah, I was like, what I was that? wearing like a jacket. I was like having to take it off. I was like pulling at my collar. Felt like I couldn't breathe. I ended up laying on the floor, and the room was silent. I like couldn't breathe were you in the middle of a scene or no. was it just in the rehearsal space we were doing um a line run but like a, a rapid line run you know right. like yeah yeah everyone just going quick fire like, just getting them out and i could i physically couldn't get the words out i knew my lines but i couldn't get the words out so i started getting frustrated because then everyone else has to start the scene again then i start getting annoyed 
Then I start getting angry. Then I start getting upset. Then I just start like sweating, getting ridiculously hot, like pulling at my clothes to try and like, you know, get some air. And then I just like, I'm just, the next thing I know, I'm like sitting on the floor, like, <laughs> like struggling to like, like that proper crying where you're like, you know, I don't know what happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I got super upset and just like, yeah, I had this like panic attack. And it's I've, I've never had that before. And I think it was because I, I, well, I don't know why, but it was a it was a maybe a combination of like I'd finally let myself get to that vulnerability point, and I think it just scared the shit out of me. To be honest, you know, like absolutely just scared the shit out of me. But I would still say now that by the time we did the showing of that checkoff piece, it was so much fun and arguably one of my, you know, what I would say is one of my better performances at the time at drama school, you know, because I'd allowed myself to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Yeah. Yeah, that happened. That was very powerful. Yeah. As a kind of turning point. Mm. Yeah. It was weird. It was weird. And then continuing on through drama school and looking towards graduating, mm. do you kind of remember what that time was like? Because nothing can really prepare you. I was having this conversation the other day. Nothing can prepare you for leaving drama school no. and graduating and going into the industry yeah. because the expectations that you set up for yourself. I mean, what year did you graduate? It wasn't too long well, ago. Well, I graduated in a very odd time of 2020. Yeah, okay. So it was very odd, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds like a, a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, it weren't, it weren't ideal. Um, but you graduated, you signed. I, I signed after I graduated, yeah. Okay. I think I... I graduated, I went back to Essex to work for my mate on a building Did site. Did you move back to Clapton? Yeah. And I went back to work on a building site. And I remember thinking, I wasn't even sad or upset. I was just like, well, that was a fun three years. That was a cool ride. Now back to reality. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I you had no it. expectation that that was it? You just thought, that's it, I'm not going to work? Yeah, so, I mean, I moved back and I thought, that that's that. And when we got these showreels back, I thought, well, I'll send another load of emails yeah. with that. And if it doesn't happen with that, then like, what, uh, what, when the, I'll try again, maybe in a few months, I don't know. Um, and very fortunately, I remember I was, we was working away and I got an email through from Spotlight saying that a casting director wanted to see me for a project. And I was like, Wicked, that's cool. It wasn't wicked. It wasn't the actual production. Wicked. Um, then you returned to musical theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full circle. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, that didn't go my way. But but then I felt like I was like, I've got footage now. I've got this these self tape clips and this show reel. I'm going to send out another load of emails, and I did, and. The first person that replied, I was like incredibly excited with. I was like, oh, like, I, I, 
sent this person emails throughout the entire time I was at Guildhall. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they were top of the list. And they wanted to meet me. And I met. And I signed with them. And I'm very, very amazingly, very grateful and very fortunately still signed. I remember just even feeling like if agents replied to my emails yeah. saying that they were coming to one of the shows <laughs> I was like oh my god I was like that's it it's happening here we go <laughs> mum just ringing me mum being like oh I got a reply yeah like, oh I know <laughs> you know and yeah but everything go. feels like something doesn't it yeah at that point even when you go like you go and sit in the waiting rooms and it's like sweating the nerves I had <laughs> and I was like what like why because all the you know their clients movie posters are on the wall and stuff like that and you're like oh my god right yeah I was thinking about this the other day thinking gosh if I knew then what I know now you know if I if you had that but it's something that only comes with years of experience so it's very difficult to give advice to a 21 year old Mm. who's coming out of drama school who maybe you know isn't the most confident person in Hollywood for god's sake to say to them, you know, go into meetings like you've already got the job. Walk in there with that atmosphere, you know, that you don't care, you don't yeah. need it. That's the kind of, that is such, it's so true and it's such great advice because that energy makes you so much more desirable, of course. Yeah. It's like dating, isn't it? When you turn up to a date with the kind of real puppy dog, please, yeah. want me, want me, want me, love me, love me energy. Thanks, it's very, yeah. it's very <laughs> off-putting. Yeah. And that's essentially what an audition is, isn't it? Yeah. A little bit. It's kind of seeing if you're compatible for the project. Yes. But when you're a graduate and you're so you are so desperate for work and you are so Yeah. That's the key word. You feel desperate, don't you? Yeah. You yeah. want them to love you, that you want them to want you. It's so hard not to bring that energy into yeah, the room. Yeah, do you know what? I, I'm not even gonna lie, I still struggle with that. Like I still struggle do to you? not be like because I'm like, yeah. if I go up for something cool and if I get the opportunity to go in a room with whoever's doing it if I get that opportunity I'm going to find it very hard to play yeah. it cool and be like yeah it's good script I'm going to be like this is the shit I want this please yeah you know, <laughs> begging I might, please. Not, I might not say please but I do I struggle with it like that kind of like playing it cool because I'm like if I I want to be in it you know yeah I want to do it so I think yeah but it's true and I mean and it's awful, but having sat on the other side of the camera in the auditioning, mm. you know, in the casting room, it does make such a difference when people come in with that energy. Yeah. Especially as an actor, I've sat on the other side of the camera, whether it's kind of for casting or directing or whatever, and just sat there and kind of watched people come in with the different energies. And it is absolutely fascinating. My agent yeah. always used to say to me that every actor should always spend a time working in an agent's office and working in a casting office because you'll learn so much. Oh, wow. And it is so true. Yeah, I've done it, I, I don't know. For me, like, I always... Because I do, I do struggle to go in and, and have that I don't give a shit attitude. Um, for me, the best way that I, I feel like I can get anything close is just confidence. And my the confidence to get that confidence for me is just knowing knowing what I'm doing inside and out mm. you know I'd have if I get sent the whole episode I'd read the whole thing like twice read them lines like over and over no, won't even listen to music just l- reading the lines you know that I think that's the closest I get to that kind of laid backness I think yeah. that comes from just being 
just knowing, knowing it inside and out and yeah. thinking that you're good enough for it. 100%. Yeah. And it takes it takes time for a lot of people to build that inner confidence, doesn't it? To walk into a room and think, actually, it's okay if I don't get this role because there'll be others, you know, to walk in and just kind of enjoy that experience. But, and to, to have the kind of self-worth that you're not going to crumble if you fuck yeah. up the audition and you're not going to, your career isn't over if you don't get this job. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's something that can take a long time to kind of to build up to for some people. Some people just naturally are able to access yeah. that energy, which, 100%. you know, I'm very happy for those people. Yeah. But for the majority <laughs> of people, it is it is very difficult, isn't it? But again, I think having that persona, I was once given the advice of going to the audition room with a persona like you're on stage, like you were talking about earlier, uh, you know, yeah, front yeah, yeah. of a band. Yeah. Have have your, you know, your persona on. Yeah. Exactly. Wow which I don't know is good advice or bad advice, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's something, yeah. <clears throat> so you then land an incredible role <laughs> in... In? Everything I Know About Love. Yeah. Based on the book by Dolly Alderton, yeah. which for our generation of women is the... Bible. Big book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, congratulations because it's recently thank aired you. and it's done incredibly well and you are incredible in it. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. How was that? What was that like? The kind of audition, going from the audition process to actually filming it. Yeah. I mean, you got that role not too long after you graduated, actually, which is, which is you know, such an incredible achievement. Yeah, it was... How's um, the last, last year been? Yeah, I mean, it was... It was mad. So I, I I did my first ever job um, in 2021, like end of June, early July. You know, it was like a week filming this ITV, like kind of comedy. Like it was a lot of fun. I thought this is great. Like it was just, I, I was like, I had so much fun. Um, and then I got the audition on literally on my last day of filming and filmed it that weekend and I, I read it and I was like this is I didn't know the book um my agent was is like a big fan of the book and um so I googled it and I, I knew straight away the cover I was like okay but I didn't really want to look too much into the book I was like I think I had like one episode so I was able to read it and I was like this is amazing I was like I can do this guy I can do this um so yeah, I got it on the Friday and then filmed it over that weekend, whatever, sent it in the Monday. And then I think like in less than a week, I got a recall. So I then got to read like a few episodes and I was like, wow, th th this is good. And I don't know if it was the same scenes, maybe it was the same scenes. Um, and then I went in the room. I think that was my first time in the room as well, like ever, because obviously everything changed after lockdown it was all self-tape so I think that was the first time wow. I'd ever been in a room um like a casting um I did it chatted about the script chatted about the character and I, I still remember saying it's so like I was like look I've got to be I've got to say like even if I don't get to read this again or pick this script up again this is one of the best things I've read man I was like, this is wicked. And then 
I think like the weekend went by. A few days into the next week went by, and I was like, "Mate, I probably would have heard by now." And then I got a phone call saying I got it, and I was like, "You know, I I had to get off the bus that I was on because I was swearing so much. I was like, what the fuck?'" And I was like, "People are looking at me now." I mean, it is your perfect role as well <laughs> in terms of your casting and your teenage dream of being a front man. Yeah, I mean, well, this is it. Could that have been any more? It was. It was. In that sense, I was like, who knew that I had to get into acting to fulfil my dream of being a rock star? <laughs> um, and I did. But it was, it was amazing. Um, you know, and then I think we had like, well, I had like maybe a month, six weeks from getting the, bit, the, the, the job to, to actually filming or starting like a rehearsal week. Um, and what kind of prep did you do for the role? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I did a lot of like taking, you know, a lot of inspiration from a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. So I got like a book of stuff. Okay. So um, while I was doing that first job, we were filming in Margate. So one night we all go out for dinner and we go to the Albion Rooms, which is the hotel and recording studio that the Libertines have. And I met Carl Barat that night and I met one of his friends who's a producer and we hung out for a bit. And when I got street and everything I know about love, I was like, you know, it's set in 2012, very specific era. I was like, I was like 16 at that time. So I was like, I didn't really know. So I got in touch with Carl's mate as a producer and I was like telling him and I was like, is there any chance I could speak to Carl? And I did, I was texting him a bit. And then I think they were like, he was quite busy. They were doing, they was like, I was recording that a few gigs on. And he was like, look, how do you feel about just, we've got this gig in like Rochester in Kent. Like, do you want to just come? And I was like, yeah, I'll come. Like, <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. I'm not going to say no. Um, <laughs> and also I'm just like, well, it's another Libertines gig to add to my list of already like a dozen. I was like, sick. Like, this is cool. Um, so I go there and I was just there. I was just like in the crowd, it's like outdoors. And then I was like, well, I'm going to ring Carl. I'm just going to ring him. Like, I don't know why or where I got the bravery, but I was just like, I rung him. And he's like, oh mate, like come backstage. And I was like, oh my God. So then I ended up just hanging out backstage with Carl. Carl was there super early. We like watched some of the support acts together, had a few drinks. I showed him like my research book and stuff like that um we were talking about different musicians and different bands and kind of you know what what it meant to be a musician in london and what it meant to be a musician of that time um because for me like the big thing for me when it comes to the research was you don't actually really see street play in his band so for me it was about creating how do you create um a believable rock star or somebody who thinks they're a rock star, when you don't actually ever see him play, how do you do that? How do you believe it? Yeah, the, the character you know? and the persona. And yeah. The... Um, so we were chatting <clears throat> for ages, and then the rest of the band turned up. So like, it's pretty wild, to, you know, to see to see Pete Doherty. It was like it was pretty wild. I was like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> um, I like, sort of had to take myself back a little bit. I was like, this is this is cool. <laughs> 
Um, First big job. Yeah. That escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. That, I could get used to this, you know. Um, and yeah, do you know what? Like, they were so cool. Like, both Carl and Pete, like, sort of, I think they wanted to be actors once upon a time. So, like, they were really interested. And the, the job that I'd done before was a, a remake of The Darling Buds of May. So they were mm. really into that. Um, and yeah, we like hung out, passed the guitar around a little bit, played some songs, um, hung out, chatted about stuff. And then they went on stage and it was pretty surreal watching the little scenes on the side of the stage. And then, then we just hung out for the rest of the night. I think yeah. Carl did like a DJ set and stuff like that. And But then, you know, he was super helpful throughout still the time of my prep for everything I know about love for the filming uh you know he was great with phone calls and if I had like random questions I could just text him and stuff like that he was so good he was so so helpful and um you know he really he, he played a big part in sort of my research for it even you know with suggestions of people who to listen to and stuff That's like that amazing. And the style and stuff like that you know it was it was amazing it was really cool and what was the process like for you while you know filming and then after obviously you only f you only started filming about a year ago didn't you the turnaround's been super quick yeah from it, filming so to I think airing the whole shoot was like september to december um i wasn't i wasn't there for all of that i was there for a, a good amount of it um but it was ama it, it genuinely was amazing because, and it really, it felt like such a passion project because everyone that was there like was loving it. It was so much fun. Everyone like, you know, all the cast would like hang out outside of work and stuff. Like it, it was so much fun. And it, it, you know, it was it was difficult when I finished. It was it was really yeah. I I I, I struggled. Because I was like, I don't know. It sort of felt like I was in like a, a sort of an amazing bubble, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I sort of came, I sort of came back to London. It was like, oh, well, that's done. Like it's actually done. It feels odd, you know. It sort of felt like it was never going to end. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it was odd when it finished but then I was just like super excited for it to come out and for me to see it and for everyone to see it I was just excited I was like buzzing for like four months just waiting yeah. for it to come out like <laughs> um so yeah yeah the period after you finish a really big job or something that you're super proud of like that because you know this career is based on your passion and mm. it is like a bubble when you're in jobs isn't it it can be such a kind of drop yeah after those kind of the highs and lows of your career are so visceral aren't they yeah it's, it's almost how do you like... sort of manage that time between jobs now um i don't know joe you know like I, I i don't know i mean i think yeah that feeling that you're talking about is it's almost like a, a much bigger version of the kind of, um, <coughs> you know, when you come back off holiday and you mm. kind of get the blues. It's a bit like that, you know, but on a, what feels like a bigger scale. Um, I mean, it was, I, I, I was quite fortunate because I think 
the routines that I had, even when I was filming throughout it all, I kept up with them kind of routines. And, you know, it was only maybe like a month till Christmas. So, like, for me, it was just... It was just all about being like, now's the time to spend loads of time mm. with my friends and family and, you know, as if I hadn't been, but I, I mean, I had. Mm. But like, that's just what I focused on, really. I was just like, I was trying to hang out with everyone and, yeah, that that was kind of what I did. And like I say, I sort of stuck to the same routine. You know, I picked up some good things that I learned as, that I maybe picked up on like days off between filming that I realised were like quite good for me, so I just kept at them really. Such as, um, like starting the day with a walk. I know it sounds like so obvious and whatever, but like half hour, forty five minutes, hour walk. Just going for a walk. Sometimes listen to music. Sometimes listen to a podcast or whatever. And like I, I, I sort of have to do that now, you know. If it, Did that start during filming? Um, or is that something that you've done for a long time? No, I think it was like in preparation as well. You know, I think I maybe struggled to when I was like listening to a lot of music for just preparation. I think I struggled to like just listen to it in my room. It was like in summer, so I was like struggling to just listen in my room. So I'd go for walks quite a bit. Um, and then especially when we was filming, I was like, oh, it's actually like, it feels like it sets me up for the day in a weird way. Um, what else is in your daily routine? Are there things that you do to keep yourself in a positive headspace? Yeah, I think I sort of like, you know, um, for years now, I always have like when I kind of wake up, not straight away, but at some point, you know, before I kind of crack on with the day, we'll have like my mantras sort of for the day if you like um they're not always different they're usually quite the same it's just uh, mantras as in affirmations and uh, meditation or what yeah what i kind think of... it, it may be a bit of a, a more of a meditation thing it's it's just being grateful you know like me trying to take a minute to actually be grateful um you know even if i'm not having a great day or something. At least I know that I started my day where I spoke about things that I was grateful for and what I feel very fortunate and lucky for, you know. And a lot of the time it's the same because it's friends, family, touch words like health and stuff like that, you know. Um, Gratitude is the most powerful state you can put yourself in gratitude is only something that i really looked into and started reading about last year mm. after you know years of trying out all sorts of different things i started studying gratitude last year and oh, wow. i was i knew it would be great and obviously people it's something people talk about a lot it's something you see a lot on the internet and whatever but when i really started reading into the effects and how powerful practicing gratitude can be and started doing this exercise where you list 10 things you're grateful for and then the reasons why uh, every yeah. single morning. Oh, wow. It just does, it just alters yeah. your mindset so much. It's the most powerful thing. I was so bowled over really by how powerful it was. I didn't think it would be the, as 
you know, as effective as it was, but it's really, really incredible. Yeah. If anyone hasn't tried it, I really, really recommend it. Yeah, I think it's great. And there's so many different ways to do it. I like the idea, actually. I've never thought about it, of writing it down, because then when, you know, the day goes on and, I don't know, you knock your toe on a door and it, you, everything goes wrong after that, you can go back to that piece of paper and, yeah. you know, reflect on what you're grateful for and actually, you know. So one of the, yeah, so the way, the way that I learned this exercise, if this is interesting, there's loads of different ways to do it, is you write down 10 things you're grateful for so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Then you write the reason why next to it after. Wow. And then you go and you read each one aloud and you say thank you, thank you, thank you three times aloud. And you go through them and you say thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. And then you just sit with it for a moment. And that's it. It takes it really is quick because yeah. you know, often you could you know, you can bang through them because it's not and even if you can't think of something, you can say, I'm grateful for my breakfast or mm. that nice sunset. Or yeah. the nice sunrise this morning, or you know, it can be anything. If you can't think of something, there's always something around you to be grateful for, which yeah, is yeah, the sure. kind of point. And it does actually really make you appreciate the world around you. Yeah. It's amazing for mindfulness, especially if you're a very in your head person, which I am. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And you know, like I, I found like, I'd usually like with a lot of that stuff when I do the mansion and that. Like I, I, I got given years ago uh like prayer beads by uh I, I, I don't know what the correct term for this person's job was i had like a lot of when i was a kid i had a lot of trouble like sleeping with sleeping things um so i went and saw her and she at some point gave me these prayer beads and i've still got them and for me it's great because there's all these beads so you go along and you say something with each bead kind of thing you know that's great but like i used to always do these you know gratitude and stuff like that but you know i'd wake up i go on my phone for a bit i go make a coffee whereas now it's as soon as i wake up mm. and you've sort of done that and then you feel like you want to i don't know i, I do i feel like i want to like i want to get on now yes do you know what i mean like yeah yeah, I find that very, very helpful. Having an early morning routine can set you up for the day in such an amazing way. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I do breathing and breath work, and it's just completely changed my life. Wow. And now if I don't do it, oh, my God, I notice such a huge difference. Really? Yeah. Have, having a morning routine of breath work for me just completely resets my nervous system. Wow. And, and from then, I'm just on such a different vibe during the day. Mm. Really powerful. So was there a moment... So when you were younger, obviously, I know that you... Um, you discovered your mental health at quite a young age, mm. right? Yeah. Was that when you learnt affirmations and things? That kind of at what point in your childhood or in your teenage years did did you know you become aware of your mental health, or was um, that kind of a moment or an event that happened? Well, I suppose like these, you know, the affirmations and that was when I was seeing someone to try and help me with. Uh, this sleeping problem that I had, but I I I think I was too young to realise that that was anything to do with mental health or anything like that. But it was definitely highlighted when I was going through my recovery and therapy after my kind of spell of a very brutal mental health kick. You know, uh, it was after that that I started to realise that it was something that was actually going to really benefit me. 
not just something that was going to help with a problem, but it was going to be something that was going to help my my life, really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I was probably like 16, 17 when, that, when I realised that. And obviously since then, it's my awareness of mental health and my own mental health has, is constantly developing since yeah. then. Yeah. What kind of therapy were you having at that point? Um, I, I believe it was CBT. Um, you know, but it was it's also like, you know, some counselling and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and I, do you know what, like, I mean, I really didn't stick it out long enough. That That's one of one of the regrets that I'd probably look back on is that because because I was at an age when I was going through it that they sort of had to move me from uh, adolescent or, you know, young person to adult because I think I turned 18 during that time and it I was just like, ah, oh, it's just too much messing about. Like, don't worry about it. I'm all right now anyway. Like, I'm fine. We ain't got to do all this. I'm good. So I didn't do it. And I stopped there. And I think that was probably, you know, it's, I can say that now because I've sort of learnt slowly. But um, I, I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have stuck it out longer. Definitely. But after that, I don't feel like that was. Uh, I didn't finish the book. I sort of ended on a random chapter. You know. Mm. And what led you into that? Um having that therapy at that point in your life? Yeah, so when I was uh, <clears throat> 16, um, I mean, it happened quite quick, but I suffered quite strongly with uh, an eating disorder, um, as well as a few sort of other mental health things. But yeah, I, I had that, which was, which was rough. But I mean, I didn't really know that it was going on at the time. Every, that whole period in my life happened very fast, very fast. Um, everything about it was very fast. You know, from the kind of downfall to even the recovery, I wanted to get it all done quickly, 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 quickly. Um, so Can yeah. you pinpoint a moment where you realised that you that it was a problem? It wasn't until I was maybe a month a month into being in a, a general hospital at you know a dangerously low weight it wasn't until then the entire sort of time that I was on this downfall and sort of my mental health and physical health was plummeting I didn't even realize I didn't I did not realize that I, that I had a problem that I had an issue um, and it wasn't until, yeah, sort of maybe about a month into being in a general hospital, it just felt like I had this, like, knock round the head and all these words just come out and I was sort of, like, apologising. It was almost like, you know, my voice was trapped because I just said all this stuff. It was almost like I was just viewing the last three or four months. I didn't really know and I was just apologising to, like, everyone around me. I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I I I know now it's wrong, 
I know what I've been doing and it's not good. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't stop, but I, I just couldn't. I had no control over what I was doing, you know. Um, yeah, that was the moment. And then from there, I was like, I want to get better. Like, there was no hesitation. I was like, I want to get better. I want to do whatever i got to do. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I just need to get better. Um, and, yeah, I, I definitely give it my best go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's really inspiring. It's incredible how quickly you turned it around. What mm. kind of... What did you do then in that immediate period following that, you know, to work back up to a healthy weight and to support your mental health. Yeah, well, I was... What was your period of recovery like? I was... I thought it was going to be sweet. I was like, wicked, like... I've realised now what's going on. I'm going to sort this out. I know what I've got to do. Mum, pack my bags. We're leaving. We're out. And they were like, nah, does not work like that. And I was like, why? You've seen me the last few days. Like, I'm, I'm buzzing. And they were like, you can't. And I was sent straight to a mental health ward. And that was, that, that, that for me was like, just such an upsetting time. Because I, I wanted so hard to be better, but also to be, you know, like, bless her, my mum spent every night next to me at the hospital and that. And it's like, I just wanted to be with her. To kind of, in a weird way, I felt like I, I didn't have to, I didn't feel like I had to, but I wanted to like make up the time to her. I just wanted to be around her all the time, and um, but I couldn't. I had to go to this mental health ward, which, which was tough, you know. Um, it 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 was, it was tough. Um, and I literally went outside. I was like, "What I got to do? Get out, mate!" Like, and he was like, "Well, this is." I don't know what it was. It was like a piece of paper that was like, Connor needs to do this. X, Y, Z, yeah. I was like, you got to give me a copy of that. I'm doing <laughs> it, mate. Like, But like stuff was like, some stuff was like, I just, I, one of the things on there genuinely was I had to sit, when I sat down, I had to sit on a pillow because I was at such a low weight that I had like, like no bum, essentially. So like, I had like a lot of bruising and stuff on my bum. So they were like, you need to sit on a pillow. And I was like, mate, I'll sit on a pillow. Don't worry about it. Like, So it was stuff like, you know, essentially just following what they do and making sure that I was sticking to this meal plan and stuff like that. They put me on and mm. yeah. How long was, were you in there for? Uh, I think it was another, I think it was another month. I think it was a month. And then I left, I left there. I remember it very well. I left on the 5th of November because when my mum come pick me up, <laughs> it was, you know, all the fireworks and stuff were going off. Oh. And it was like, <laughs> I still say, like, I still like... They were for you, that's Yeah, funny. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously me forgetting that it's like November 5th. But yeah, I remember that drive back and that, you know, just like, almost like quite cheesy, but like pushing the seat back in the car and just like, watching all the fireworks go off like you know in a dark night driving back like half an hour drive to my house and oh my when I got back to my house oh I mean I couldn't leave for about a month I was, <laughs> on, like, house, I was like housebound but uh so it didn't always feel like that but yeah it was it was amazing and you know I, I wanted to get better and everyone 
knew that, but I think people were quite cautious as well. Because in case, you know, they might have heard that in the past and it's almost like a bit of a, I don't know, you know, this, it's a well, mental it's, health it's thing, so long, the mind plays tricks. Yeah, know? and it's a long period of recovery, isn't it? And it's something yes. that you then do live with and, you know, it's an illness and it's something that takes a long time to recover from. It's not some, It's not, It's not. not like you just kind of bounce back and then you're fine and it's never an issue again, is it? No, so, no, exactly. And, you know, and it's for me, what was really tough to get my head around is that it wasn't just, the, it wasn't one specific issue I wasn't being treated for one thing I had several things that I was being treated for you know in terms of different mental health issues uh that was something that I found quite hard to get my head around mm. um I was like can we not just say it's like just put it all in one box it's just one <laughs> and it's like obviously not because you have to treat different things different ways for different people mm. you know um it's it's so individual so individual um not one case is ever going to be the same as another yeah i mean that's the thing about it's difficult when talking about even the time mental health i think sometimes i even struggle with because it's such an umbrella term for yeah such a huge huge range you know of different issues, problems, situations, you know, and it manifests, you know, the, the root cause of the problem manifests mm. in such an infinite amount of ways in people, you know? Yeah. Well, really, most people that, when they have a trauma, it manifests in th three ways. So it's either uh -huh. physical, you get disease, uh um behavioral or emotional so depression right or behavioral would be eating disorders right oh wow you know um but the root causes uh. can you know any anything could lead to either one of those things so there's no kind of one size fits all no treatment is there no absolutely i think that's what it is and i think i think that was something that i I had to slowly understand, especially when I was in a mental health ward, you know. Yeah. No one's... No one's the same. No one's. No one here has got the same thing going on because it, it is all so different. And, yeah. You know. But it could be ticked under the same box, but it's exactly. such a huge... There's such a huge disparity between the, you know, the individuals in there. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then... I mean, it's incredible, really, what you've achieved in the last 10 years, because that only being 10 years ago, and mm. you now, you know, going through all of that, going to, you know, being in that institute, coming out, having your recovery, and then very quickly, really, going to going off to drama school, which is another very high-pressure environment, and then into the yeah. industry, which, again, the values of the industry, unfortunately, sometimes can encourage and perpetuate unhealthy cycles can't they and they can really bring out you know people's traumas or unresolved issues can really kind of come to the surface if you're in a career that is very pressured where there's not too much kind of support around you so I think what you've done 
and what you've achieved is absolutely incredible. I mean, I have so much respect for you because it's oh, really it's really wonderful the way that you've the way that you've dealt with it. Thank you. Yeah. How does yeah. it feel kind of looking back on it all now? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, um there's there's certain periods uh throughout the recovery that I do reflect on uh a lot, you know. Uh just just to that I'm staying on top of things, you know, in that sort of way that I reflect on it. But um yeah, I don't often sort of think back to that time too much. So it's not out of choice. I just think, you know, it feels like it was a long time ago and, you know, it's, I mean, it is weird. I, I I didn't think I'd probably ever get to the stage where I'd be able to turn around and say it was 10 years ago. There was a time where I didn't think I'd be able to say it was five years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, it, it is, <laughs> it's odd. <laughs> it's odd, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, just I, I knew that I wanted to get better and I think that's, with anything in terms of uh, mental health and, and addiction, you know, you have to acknowledge and want to get mm. better. Um, I think that, for me, that was a really important step. Because um, even if I was getting better during that time, um, the moment I decided I wanted to get better and I acknowledged what was going on, for me, that's when it propelled. And yeah. I reached out and I got help and I spoke about it. That's when, for me, it propelled in, in a recovery. Yeah, I mean, and that is the that is the point. That is the turning point for everyone, really. The, fi the moment that they finally realise that they actually do have a problem and they do want to get better, of course. Mm. But it can take people years and years. Some people battle that for decades, their whole life. I know. And a lot of people rationally know in their mind there's a problem here and they understand that everyone around them wants them to get better. Yeah. But sometimes that becoming your routine or the the place that you kind of almost sit comfortably in, it can be so s terrifying for people yeah. to turn their life around because then what, you know? So yeah, I think it's incredible. Point, yeah. The pace in which you were able to come to that point is quite remarkable, really. It's very fortunate in that sense. I was very, I was very lucky because I do know people go through it for so long. And you just can't, even if you go to therapy, you know, I know from my therapy work, you know, if someone comes and sits down in front of me and I say, why are you here? And they say, you know, my family made me calm, my wife made me calm, yeah. whatever. I can't, I actually will say I can't help you at the moment because that will has to actually be there so genuinely. Yeah. But that is such a difficult point for people to come to, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, because it's, you know... Amazing. You have to be willing to want to turn your life around. So now, daily routine. You got your mantras? Yes. What else? What else do you do to keep yourself in a good headspace? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> if anything. What do I do? Walking. I would love my walk. I love, love walking. Walk. Yeah. It's very therapeutic walking. I feel like I'm a bit of an old soul because I've get a real kick out of walking. Do you put the Arctic Monkeys on and go for a long walk? They're still on there. They're still on there from time to time. <laughs> do you have a walk playlist? Uh, yeah, do you know, I've got... 
I've got a lot of playlists. I've got like one playlist that's got like every song. If I just if I hear a song, I go yeah, it's kind of that playlist. It's like hundreds <laughs> of hours long. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then I've kind of got playlists of if I want to feel a certain way, you know. Yeah. Like if I like if it's a Monday and I want to take on the week, <laughs> don't matter what I'm shuffling like. <laughs> you know, something's helping me with this, whether it's like the doors or, you know, you get what you give or something like that. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a game changer. Um, something to give you a bit of attitude when you're walking down the road. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. And I've got no shame in sort of having a bit of a, you know, bit of a kick in my step. I'll go along and I'll bounce along. Um, but also like podcasts as well, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I think some of them are... <clears throat> Can be, you know, even from something that's incredibly inspiring to something that just walking along and laughing. Like, I, I really have noticed, like, you get a lot of looks. If you just walk along, obviously not saying anything, people realise you're not on the phone. Yeah. And you're just laughing. People look at you like, Are you, is he okay? <laughs> um, but it's so, it's so nice because it's like, you know, you get to just go for a walk. There's no, and have a laugh, you know. So I, both both sort of sides of podcasts where it's quite, you know, inspiring or intimate uh, conversations are great. Would you say you're someone that needs a lot of me time? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But then there's a, you know, there's like a bit of a flip side with that because it's like I do and I really do and I, I know I know them moments when I do. Um, I think a lot of my close friends can spot it before I do, when it's like, okay, we just need to leave it alone for a bit. Like, um, I do, but then also, like, I I kind of, you know, yearn for someone to sort of always be... Like, I'll, another thing in my daily routine <laughs> is that I call my mum every night. Every night. Sometimes That's so lovely that sometimes you're Sometimes it's close. for, like, 30 seconds. Like, All right, mum, how's your day? You know, she works at Morrison's. Good that work? Yep, good. Cool. Not much to report today. Good. Cool. After bed in a minute. Nice. What's your mum's name? Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Oh. She's That's so amazing that you have that relationship though with your mum. I'm I'm so oh yeah, I'm so lucky. She's she's she doesn't see it. I mean, you know, mums don't, I suppose, but like she's She's everything, you know, and I think uh, my sister would agree as well. But, yeah, she's she's been through, you know, a lot even with me. But um, she's she's wicked. And, yeah, so we, we talk every day. And, some, like I say, sometimes it's for, like, 30 seconds. And sometimes it's for, like, 20 minutes. But it's always right before I go to bed. Because for me, that's, like, there's that that makes me feel, like, quite comfortable I think maybe as well like that's something that leads back to when I was a kid and I had these sleeping problems but um I do that and like usually even if I watch like a movie at night still just before I go to bed I'll watch like one episode of something that I've seen yeah a thousand times because you know I, I mean there definitely is comfort in that you know uh and I think that's just quite a nice feeling to have before going to bed yeah, you know, absolutely. That, that comfort that you can... you. I, I think I've read something that, you know, um, it's actually quite good to do that because, you know, if, if you're, you know, like, if 
if I have a bit of a tough time with like anxiety or something like that, you because you know what's going to happen. There's no like fear. Yeah. Or there's no anxiety because you're like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen for the rest of this episode. So what's what do I do? I read that that people with anxiety love horror films. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I there's don't. really something in that, isn't there? Yeah, I, I really don't. <laughs> so funny. I, I, I don't. Oh no, I'm God. the same as you. I mean, I've fallen asleep to the Ricky Gervais show, the old XFM ones yeah. that are on YouTube. There's hours and hours and hours worth of content on there. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and Peep Show for years. Yeah. Just the same thing. I just thought I can fall asleep to it. Yeah. And now, if it's on, I'll just get really sleepy and fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like an anchor for me. I know. Weirdly. So, but, but do you know what? It's so funny because, like, actually, goes back. Like my my granddad, even from as, as young as I can remember, goes. I don't know if he still does it, but he goes to bed with headphones in, with a cassette tape. Oh, right. Stop. Of like only fools and horses episodes or porridge. You know, it's incredible. those sort of like old kind of British comedies. So like I went for a real phase of doing that where you like, it was, I mean, it's obviously like leaps in a generation where I put my AirPods in and I get it up <laughs> on like Apple, whatever. And it's like I download it. But it is, there's something so comfortable in that. And especially, you know, it's always going to be like comedies and stuff like that, isn't it? you know, so yeah, yes, yeah, I think, I think, I think the kind of going to bed routine is is arguably just as important as the getting up 100 percent. you know having a good quality of sleep is essential oh although i've started what well, if you i've been really getting into recently working with the circadian rhythm so basically where you try and live by the by the sun rising a little bit more and setting yeah so eat your dinner at about 6 p.m wow and leave, you have to leave four, you're supposed to leave four hours before you, between eating and going to sleep, because then your blood sugar is going back down again. Wow. And honestly, now I notice such a difference in my quality of sleep. If I eat at 9 p.m. and then go to bed, yeah. like at 11 or whatever, I sleep so badly. If I eat at six, I sleep like a baby. And I naturally, wow. and then you naturally wake up really early, which is what I like anyway, because I get more done in the day. Yeah, yeah. And if you eat late, even if you go to bed early, if you've eaten late, you'll yeah. you'll sleep badly and you wake up absolutely knackered. Wow. Honestly, try it. It's literally yeah. such a game changer. I mean, it's not good for socialising, but now I just have to convince <laughs> all my friends. So I'm like, do you fancy an early dinner? Yeah. And they're like, why are you eating a child's dinner at like five? I'm like, should we meet at five for dinner? It's <laughs> like, no, Jade. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Something gross must be a dream yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly. No, honestly, that's the dream meal. Yeah. Um, also, something I just thought of. Do you think, because I know you're very incredibly close to your sister and your mum. Yeah. Do you think as a man, a mm. male identifying person, that you, that it's influenced you growing up in a household with women and being super close to your sister and your mum? How do you think that having those really close female relationships has kind of impacted and shaped who you are because I'm so interested yeah. by I mean, that. I, yeah, I feel I, like I men who've grown up around women and have got a lot of, you know, have those close relationships with sisters or mum or yeah. grandparents. It's really interesting to see emotionally mm. how the, the kind of difference. Yeah, and I, do you know what? It's really, 
it's, it's interesting as well because like I, I can't remember when I spoke about this, but like I'd never really thought about it, but it then ties in with growing up dancing and being the only guy, you know. So like whenever I wasn't at school, I was just around you know women. Mm you know, whether it's my mum and sister or the girls that I was going to dance school with, you know, that was there a lot. I mean, so I suppose it's difficult because I, I don't know any different. I don't know any different. I, you know, I, I can't really, I don't know. Yeah, of course. It's something you can observe from the outside more than on yeah, the inside, right? Yeah, but I, I mean, I'd like, I'd, I, I would hope and I'd like to think that that's, that it's, um, something that has been beneficial. I certainly don't feel like I've gone without. I feel like I've had above and beyond with growing up in a household with them two. I feel like beyond lucky for that. Mm. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel so lucky to have that. Um, and especially when it's the two people that I idolise the most in the world and that inspire me the most, it it it, it means a lot, you know. Um, and it's it's one of the things that I find very difficult about living in London because they both live yeah. in the same house that we grew up in, um, and that's why I bombard them with phone calls and FaceTimes. Harass <laughs> <laughs> them. Yeah, I do. Aww. I do. But, you know, it's... Um, they're amazing. They're they're amazing. And it's it's great that I've kind of got my mum who's always there. And then my sister's sort of watching her grow up into this amazing, phenomenal woman that she is now. It's, uh, you know, I never want to say I'm patronising to her when I say how proud I am of her for that um, so yeah it's uh, I wouldn't uh, I put it this way I wouldn't change a single thing about that uh, if I had the chance I'd do the exact same again I feel it was you know amazing yeah. I grew up with just them two you know it was a we were a good team still are so well, thank you so much. You've been so incredible and you have so much respect for you and I'm so glad that you've come on here to share with us. Like, you've been an incredible guest. Thanks very much, Jo. And I'm very proud of you and happy for you. Oh, You're doing so well. Thank you. Um, I can't wait to see what happens next. Where can people find you on Instagram, online, if they want to follow you, if they want yeah, to get in touch I, or anything? I, I just so I didn't What's your Insta them. plug? Insta plug, well, I've, I've cleverly... Cleverly, we'll go with that. Um, put my Instagram the same as my Twitter. Well so done, that is clever. Yeah, yeah, it took well, some took some different tech tries. Tech mastermind over here. It took some different <laughs> tries and different usernames. I'll tell you that. Um, but it's Connor Paul Finch. Lovely. There it is. Simple. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Joe. <laughs> Follow us on socials for news, upcoming events, free content and support. You can find us on Instagram at session.care, YouTube, LinkedIn. Plus, you can check out our website, www.session.care.